Good afternoon and welcome to the Eco News Report. I'm your host this week, Tom Wheeler, Executive Director of EPIC, the Environmental Protection Information Center. And I have two good friends joining me in the studio to talk about a proposed new wind project just outside of Scotia here. First is former EPIC Executive Director Natalyn Delap, and Natalyn is now working as a project consultant with the wind farm developer. And also joining me by phone is Kevin Martin, Director of Environmental Permitting at Terragen, the project proponent. So welcome to you both. Thank you, Tom. Thank well, you for thank having you. us. All right. Well, so Appreciate Natalie, and I think a lot of people are, are familiar with you. Want to just give a, a 30 second, what, what, what are you doing now these days after uh, you've moved on from Epic? I am working as the community liaison for Terragen. And so I've been tasked with helping to engage our community stakeholders, environmental organizations, project proponents, opponents, cities, the county, and just trying to make sure that the public is aware of what is going on with the project. And the idea is to get out ahead of the project, meaning before an environmental impact report comes out, you know, being able to interface with the community and be able to incorporate community feedback into the project design as opposed to at the end of the project. I know from our experience working with Epic, a lot of times we just have projects coming at us and at the public that we have not heard about and have not been engaged on, and you don't really have as many opportunities to provide input. All right. Well, thank you. And and Kevin, give us an introduction. So Natalyn's a familiar face around Humboldt, but who are you and how did you become interested in wind energy development? Well, again, thanks for having me on, Tom, and to talk about the project. Pretty excited about it. Well, I, as you said, I'm the director of environmental permitting and I oversee the, the environmental compliance and, and development and operations of our wind farms across the United States. Uh, I've been doing that since about 2007 and mainly in California. I I got started in 2007, had an opportunity to to interview with another alternative energy company, and I just kind of just fell in love with it. So it's a wonderful job. All right. And so what is is the best part of this wonderful job? (laughs) Well, I think it's the diversity of, of the types of work and the locations. Like I said, we develop and operate wind farms across the United States. So not only the, the ecosystems and the, and the terrains and the different mountain ranges and, and ecoregions, but all the vast numbers of species that, that we deal with, from condors to prairie chickens, whooping cranes, golden eagles to marbled murrelets. It's just always something new and very interesting. The energy development, particularly wind, is kind of on the, the cutting edge of what we're trying to do to address global warming, and it's nice to be part of that. Very cool. All right. So let's let's talk big picture about what is being proposed here. So we know it's a wind energy farm. How big and where where are we located? So we're we're permitting up to sixty turbines, and and those turbines are going to be generating. We're targeting one hundred and fifty five megawatts, and it's primarily on the Monument and Bear River ridges down by Scotia. Can you say the megawatts again, and, and what, what is that in kind of real life? You know, what, what okay. would I use in a year, let's say? So 155 megawatts, and so we're going to lose a little bit through the transmission line. So we'll say the output of the wind farm is going to be about 145 megawatts. There's 8,750 hours in a year, and so that gives us about 507,000 megawatt hours per year. So 
kilowatt hours are what a household uses. It's very small. It's much much smaller than a megawatt. So if you multiply that by a thousand, you get 507 million kilowatt hours per year that this wind farm is, is going to produce. So what does that mean mean to us in, in terms of how we use it in the household? The average kilowatt hours per year per house in California is about 7,000. So if you divide that into 507 million kilowatt hours, that's enough electricity for 72,000 homes. And I, I looked at the, the census, and Humboldt County currently has 53,000 homes. So you can see it's really impactive in terms of alternative energy development and production. So it's, it's going to make a, a big difference in you know, eliminating fossil fuel use. So you are permitting up to 60 turbines. Correct. How tall are these turbines? Let, let's try to visualize them on Monument Ridge here. So they could be as tall as 600 feet. In all likelihood, that they may not be. Meteorologists are, they go through an optimization process to pick the best turbine for the wind on those ridges based on, on how the wind blows through that area. So up to 600 feet. So are you buying wind turbines like somebody might buy a car? You know, like, so I'm looking for a, a sporty car. I might buy something with like a V6 or a V8. Here, you know, you're going to have winds of, I, I don't know, I'm just going to throw out a number 60 miles an hour sustained winds. So are you going to get a GXTR9 wind turbine from Siemens as opposed to something from GE? That's exactly right. You, you, you take the wind measurements and you understand how that wind moves across the landscape, given topography, times of year, times of day, weather patterns, and, and whatnot. The generators themselves and the size of the blades optimize that wind for any given site. All right. So we have 60. And then how, how do you figure out where those 60 or up to 60 will be placed on the ridges? So we have up there currently, we've got units that that measure the wind speed, direction, height, and turbulence. So the meteorologists basically make a map of how that wind is moving across the area and the most efficient places to put them. Now we also take environmental constraints into consideration. In, in it's not just about the wind. Even though it could be a very productive spot on the wind, you may have a wetland resource or an archaeological site or something that requires you to move that turbine elsewhere. So I, I guess why, why here? Why Humboldt County and why these particular ridges? Well, this, these ridges, it's, it's got an amazing wind resource. It's some, of the, it's some of the best wind there is for, for driving turbines. And it's right there close to demand. And and so demand, where where will this energy go? I, I know we don't have power purchase contracts necessarily worked out yet, but I, I guess where is where is the energy literally going to be taken to? What what substation? So that's going to be the Bridgeville substation out east of Scotia. That's where we're going to tie into the grid, and then it's just going to go to the grid. It's just like a water flowing to the an area of less. It's going to diffuse through the system, but mainly it it's going to go. To the communities in, in Humboldt County. So, what what is the 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 benefit of wind? So we're we're thinking about the need to decarbonize our energy infrastructure. California has a lot of solar, existing and potential. Why why is wind a good complement to solar? I think because it's it, solar 
is, you know, that they all have their limitations. And I think that the ultimate energy solution is, is going to be a combination of everything. And I think it, it even fossil fuels, it's the wisest. It's natural gas, solar, wind. I think it's going to be a suite of things that we derive the energy or needs from is important. Just to hop in on that with Kevin is, you know, this other simple answer is, you know, the sun during the day and our wind resources here in Humboldt are often in the evening. So it can be that really natural complement to one another locally. So you are working on the project right now. Where are we in the project development phase? So in general, we, the county is in the process of reviewing our conditional use permit and application and then and administering the, the environmental impact report for CEQA. And we are anticipating the county to release that draft EIR in the coming months. And we're looking forward to the, you know, having community and everybody participating in the CEQA process as it unfolds. All right. So tell me a little bit about the CEQA process. So if someone is, is really interested, what, what are the opportunities for participation in this project development? Well, the first is is to make sure you get a copy of the draft EIR and review that. And, and all the, the technical reports will be in there, as well as the effects analysis and mitigation. So just make sure that you, you're on the list to get that from the county when it comes out. And pay attention to EPIC, too, because I'm, I'm sure once this comes out, we will we will let folks know, because this is, this is a real big deal here in Humboldt County. So you, you need to get a conditional use permit through the county. You're going to need to comply with CEQA, the California Environmental Quality Act. And so you're going to have to produce this environmental impact report, this big, large study of all of your potential environmental impacts and what mitigation measures you're going to take to avoid significant environmental impacts. What other permits are going to be necessary? What other hoops are you going to have to jump through to get this thing done? Well, at this time, I'd, since the county is still working on that, I'd rather not discuss it, if that's all right. <laughs> okay, sure. So when when are you hoping, when is Terrigen hoping to have, you know, construction begin? And then also, when is Terrigen hoping to have, you know, electrons coming out of wind turbines and into our energy grid? Well, our target date to have those, those electrons coming out is by the end of December 2020. And it, it is probably going to be a 12 to a 16 month construction period. So you'll work back from there. Yeah. All right. Well, so that, that, that sounds somewhat ambitious. You know, I, I think at Humboldt <laughs> yeah. County, we're used to things taking forever. You know, our, our local Humboldt Bay Trail is not expected to be done for another four years. So th- <laughs> this is really <laughs> moving quite fast uh, from our perspective. Maybe maybe not from, you know, Terrigen's, but... Uh, not everything needs to go really slow. <laughs> maybe, it it would know, be really one. nice if we had a Humboldt Bay Trail already completed. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It would be really nice to have clean energy in our in our uh, energy mix now too. So, so, but why, why, why this timeline? Cause why does it, is it expedited for any reason? It is. We've got the, 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 the production tax credits. We need to have a substantial amount of the project underway to, to receive that benefit. And is this federal or state production tax credit? That's, that's federal. Okay. And so a substantial amount underway, is that, you know, you need to have a substantial amount producing or a substantial amount constructed? 
enough enough that you can complete the project by the end of 2020. Okay. That's why that drop dead date. All right. Well, good luck. And what? <laughs> I think, well, I hope you won't need good luck. All right. So you're, you're listening to the Eco News Report. I'm your host, Tom Wheeler, and I'm speaking with Natalie Delap and Kevin Martin from Terrigen about the proposed wind energy project out on Monument and Bear River Ridges. So I, I, I think that folks are somewhat familiar with wind energy up here because we had a, a f- some flirtations with Shell over a proposed wind energy project. Gosh, this is almost a decade ago now. Why is this project different than the Shell project? The Shell project was controversial locally generated opposition in, in, in local communities. Why is this project better? Well, I think our approach to developing wind is, is a sound one for California. California has set, set the standards for certain levels of alternative energy to being developed um, by 2045, 100%. And so we go into this, we're a California-based company, and we've been doing it a long time. And we've developed one of the largest wind farms in the world and the most wind development in California. So we, we know CEQA, we understand the permitting environments, and we don't circumvent anything. We, we try to understand the issues from both a, a social level, a economic, a natural resources, and the permitting environment. So I think I can't tell you why we're any different. I can just tell you that we try to be as successful as we can because we just try to do it right by the guidelines, by regulations, and, help, and try to involve the community as much as possible. The the, the NGOs, the conservation organizations, the chambers of commerce, local communities. And I think more than anything is an understanding of what we're doing and people being able to be involved. So one, one thing that was a local concern for the Shell project was potential destruction of houses. We have these big, long wind turbines that have to get up a ridge. And so the Shell project required taking out a, a number of old Victorian houses in, what was it, Rio Dells? Ferndale. In Ferndale? Yeah. Is, is anything like that going to be necessary? How are you going to get these up to the top of the ridge? So we've got, we've hired consultants who specialize in the logistics, the transport and planning of, of getting these large turbines and all the components up on that ridge. And no, we're not proposing to remove anybody's house to do that. All right. And you're not going through Ferndale? No, we're using the highway. The highway and Green Diamond Roads or... Humboldt Redwood Company. Humboldt so Redwood Company, yeah. go south down Highway 101 to the Jordan Creek off-ramp and then enter private roads. So no, nothing going through, no construction going through Rio Dell or Ferndale. So if, if I'm driving down 101, I'm going south, and I look up at Monument Ridge, what will I be able to see in the future? Well, it's hard to describe on a radio station, but <laughs> there you will notice the turbines. So there's a viewshed analysis that will be done, and it will be in the draft EIR for people to take a look at. But I, I'm not sure really how to describe it other than you'll see the turbines. They'll, they'll be spinning slowly in about 14 to 20 RPM up on the, on the ridge. All right. Well, so view sheds, you know, that's, I guess, 
a question for matter of taste for an individual. I, I personally yeah, yeah. love to see wind turbines out because it, it makes me feel hopeful about the world that we're able to change and be better. So I'm, I'm potentially excited to see these out on the horizon. All right. So I, another thing that was a concern with the Shell project that I know Terrigen has done a lot of studying and work on is impacts to wildlife, in particular birds and bats. Yes. So what, what science and, and or data collection has already been done by Terrigen to understand the wildlife usage of this potential area? Okay. So the first, first step was we used standard methods of data collection. So it's that we're consistent with the, the way we collect the information and we analyze it. So we've got two large surveys that, that took place. Some are, there's ongoing and then there's targeted studies that we did. The first was of, of the ongoing was weekly bird use counts since October 2000, 2017. And that was basically documenting overall bird presence across the areas that have turbines from 13 sites. And each one of those was surveyed for 30 minutes apiece each week. And it recorded the, the, the height and the distance behavior and duration of observations of birds out to 800 feet from that. The other ongoing was monthly eagle use counts because there are both bald and golden eagles within this region. So we need to understand how they may be using the site. So we've been doing those counts at 13 sites since October of 2017, and those are done monthly. So and we also record the, the height and distance and behaviors of, of the observations that we see. So and then, when you're doing this, are, are you having people out there with big old binoculars, birders kind of counting, or are you employing some other sort of technology? So the, for these, these studies, these ongoing, are biologists, ornithologists with binoculars just standing out there observing birds and recording what, what they see within that 800-meter radius. And then the third of the ongoing is small bird counts. Those are done at 23 sites throughout the, the project area, and those are done weekly. And, of course, they're recording the, the small birds that are, that, that are observed up there on the, on the ridges in the areas around the turbines. So a little bit more refined are we've got the, the special status species, which are, are marbled murrelet. We, we put seven radar survey locations across the landscape to understand how murrelets move through the area because there's there's a concern that they may strike a, a turbine. So what we've done is documented and studied how those birds move, the times of day, the elevations and whatnot, how they move through that area. So that that's something that we, we focused on. And there's the Northern Spotted Owl surveys across the entire project site, and those are currently underway to identify activity centers. And then the third is, is aerial eagle and raptor nest surveys. Now, that's a helicopter survey that we do around a 10-mile radius of the project boundary so we can understand where eagles may be nesting, the proximity of those nests, and the activities associated with those nests so we understand any potential for, for collision in the future. So I went up with Terrigen to check out the marble murelet surveys that you're using the the radar, and it was it was a pretty neat experience. You have trailers with 
with you know spinning radar things or the the little sticks like you would see on on a boat and there would be one mounted to the top and it would be spinning horizontally and there would be one mounted to the side and it was spinning vertically and i i thought it was just the neatest thing because we were able to see not not real time because I wasn't out there when murelets were flying over, but I was able to see when birds had used that area and you could track them. You could track pretty precisely their movements using technology that was adapted by boats uh, or adapted from boats. So it it was very cool. Is, Is this, is this technique kind of an industry standard or is this something that is, that was developed particularly for our area? So radar has been used in surveys and detection since, oh, around 2007. We, we've used it on, on several species. However, the, in this particular instance, those trailers that you described were specially designed and constructed for this mural network. And so the locations and whatnot, it's, it's very site-specific, and these were specifically made for measuring merlet movement through our project site. So what what are the preliminary results, at least for the murelet study? Do we know about when or how many murelets use a project area or, or, or largely where, or is that data we, still being analyzed? We, we do, and Dr. Rick Olightly is heading that work up. He's done a phenomenal job in, with the help, help of Stantec, the consultants who run the radar, in, in collecting and cleaning up the data and interpreting it. So we do have very strong survey data that allowed Dr. Godlightly to model the movement and anticipated collision risk throughout the based on the topography and, and whatnot, the wind and the turbine locations. So it, it appears that yeah, so we do understand that now. And we've got those results that will be released in the draft EIR. Is there a potential preview of those? <laughs> no, I couldn't say. I, since the county's since the county is administering that, I just need to let them do their magic. Okay. And so with it, I, I can tell you that we're we're looking forward to. We've got a well sighted got a well sighted project. Good. Well, I I am very excited to to see that information. Something else I'm excited to talk about is potential mitigations. So anticipating that there's going to be some sort of impact to wildlife, we may not know what yet, but what is Terridan thinking about for mitigations? Have you, have you got to that point in the project development process where you're trying to figure out what you can do to kind of better the landscape to, to make up for whatever impacts you might cause from, from the project? Yes, we, we have been working with the Fish and Wildlife Service and California Department of Fish and Wildlife as well as Dr. Golightly and the county and other biologists to, to come up with mitigation alternatives and options, as well as the what we refer to as microsighting of the turbines, shifting turbines around to avoid ridges that may have the potential for bird strikes. But those are all still in draft form. Okay. Some Something else that I, I'm pretty interested in and excited about is the development of this wind energy slash conservation community nonprofit, the American Wind Wildlife Institute. I know that wind turbines have had a bit of a bad rap from some of the early 
wind power projects. Can you talk about what this AWWI, the American Wind Wildlife Institute, does and how Terragen is kind of interfacing with this organization? So the American Wind Wildlife Institute is, has really come into a stride, and they are a group of nonprofit and industry entities with, with other wind operating developing companies, uh, Autobahn, and several other of the, the larger national conservation organizations, as well as members of and agencies. So what its purpose is, is to standardize the methods for data collection and further the understanding through the assessments of that data. So we understand, you know, there's a lot of speculation of what the effects could be. And since 2005, this industry has been collecting a lot of information, not only pre-construction, but post-construction. So we know how these wind farms are affecting the natural resources and primarily birds and bats. And so AWWI is a clearinghouse for this information, and they also support science, peer-reviewed literature produced from the, all the wind farms throughout the United States and across the globe to get a better understanding and to explain really what the true impacts of wind are, because I think that there's a lot of conjecture and there's a lot of concern where oftentimes we're not, there are areas that do show that there were poorly sited wind farms. And in those cases, the data that they've collected and the mitigations that they've designed come about through the work AWWI does with the, the industry leaders and the, the conservation organizations. To, so if we do have sites that are problematic, to put mitigation in place and explain how that is reduced impacts if it's occurring. But AWWI is, is basically a clearinghouse for peer-reviewed data that's been collected and standardizing that data so when people use it, it's, it, it can be used consistently. Well, we are getting near the end of the show. So just a reminder, if you're interested, check with the county, check with Epic to find out more updates on the development of this Terrigen project near Scotia on Monument and Bear River Ridges. I'd like to thank my guest today, the ever-lovely Natalie DeLapp and Kevin Martin from Terrigen. So thank you both for being on the program today. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, KHSU listeners. All right. This has been the Eco News Report. My name is Tom Wheeler, and I've been your host for the past half hour. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. If you'd like to replay this interview or share it with others, you can go to the archive programs page at khsu.org. You can also subscribe to the Eco News Report on your favorite podcast app like iTunes for your on-the-go listening pleasure. The Eco News Report is produced at Humboldt State University in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Many thanks, as always, to Fred for engineering. Join us again right here next week for the Eco News Report.